ways to, to subtly metaphor metaphorically deal with with the, the terror of cancer you know the horror that could strike anyone that eats any one of us from the inside that can even occur on your brain and sometimes we need to escape from that terror by imagining that those cancers uh more or less have like matrix style kung fu powers <laughs> <laughs> and psychic don't forget just generalized psychic abilities yeah and since we're talking about tumors with generalized psychic abilities and kung fu powers we're probably uh talking about the big bang theory theory hi i'm nick and i am kyle and you're listening to the bi-weekly podcast where we watch what was once a weekly episode but we're doing it at half the pace it went so we're gonna actually take twice as long as the show did to wrap up this podcast about the big bang bang theory uh, but we're we making wa- progress. We're about halfway through. We are halfway through, and um, I still can't believe that we've been doing this for oh, almost six and a half years. Uh, I mean, I'm happy that we've done it that long. Uh, it feels it's just one of those things where like we went into it so half-assed that I was like, "This is gonna last two point five sessions," and uh, no, no, somehow we've overcome. In spite of the disinterest, we have overcome. Yes, you underestimated my obsessive need to never miss an appointment. Well, I'm taking advantage of it to the fullest and expect to get a lifelong friendship out of it. So, but with that, yeah, Kyle and I, we uh, we watch this stinking old TV show. Neither of us really likes it. So, if you're looking for a fan cast, you know you're not in the wrong place because sometimes we do like it. Most of the time, we don't. And uh, you know, let's front load feelings. Today's episode was season six, episode eighteen officially titled the contractual obligation implementation which i don't know Woof. yeah like i feel like they really wanted to go nuts with the syllables and did but uh yeah another another swing and a miss uh well and also we're not just evaluating the the title there i was gonna say this episode uh i don't know fine i think i liked the the b plot or b and c plot way 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 more than the a plot which kind of goes nowhere until sheldon just wraps it up all of a sudden so uh last week i think i was very excited about the episode and i can't maintain that optimism this time how how are you feeling kyle yeah again it was uh fine it was fine yeah fine okay yeah two fines so here's actually what i'll say considering the subject matter and the way that the episode started i was like oh this could be a real bad one you know this could be real this could this could be a real uh hurdy one yeah and then it, it wasn't that bad yeah with that let's get into it Kyle because you are uh, I think right on the money in being concerned about how easily this could have just gone straight into the toilet because uh this is very much the women in stem episode all right <laughs> like the the title that we just read to you I'll read it again the contractual obligation implementation uh, references that Leonard is apparently required to be on this committee which oversees the promotion of women in the science and math fields. And he goes to Sheldon and Wallowitz for advice on this and, uh, you know, wants them to participate. Uh, but Sheldon, of course, uh, is is so far above it, he doesn't give a shit about how women are doing in the sciences because he doesn't give a shit about how anyone is doing 
Wallowitz, meanwhile, a sex criminal, just shouldn't be allowed near the topic, and is just the weird creep about it. And so that is the A plot, and it sucks. It's like uh, Kyle said, it doesn't go anywhere terrible, but it's just, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like event. What happens is Leonard, initially frustrated with the other fella's uh, disinterest, um, eventually gets a response from Sheldon, who's like, well, you know, like it's kind of ridiculous to go for uh, to try to recruit women into the sciences at the college level. Like it makes a lot more sense if you were to have uh, more inviting programming at an early age, like middle school, you know, so they start on that track at the right age. And Leonard's like, oh, that's great. So I guess we're going to a middle school. And uh, you know what? There aren't any jokes about how Wallowitz shouldn't be allowed near middle school, except for the one I made in my head. Otherwise, um, nothing no, creepy ironic, happens. They give that they give that joke to shit. I guess because they're really, I think they're really trying oh, to right, walk right. back. I think they're just trying to make you forget that they ever that like Howard Wallowitz, comma sex criminal was basically like his calling card for the first three seasons of this show. They're just hoping for some collective amnesia. Well, um, and and so you, you remind me of two things. One is. Uh, I, I wrote down the exact ca- uh, search phrase when they're trying to make Sheldon look like the sex creep because, you know, Sheldon uh, not having any idea how to relate to tweens is like, oh, I'll just Google something to, to talk with them about. And uh, Leonard and Wallowitz are like, hey, what are you Googling? And he, he Googles, how do I get 12-year-old girls excited? Which gives a, no, 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 God, oh, Sheldon. Um, and that's, that's as gross or weird as it gets. Uh, and then the only other thing is... During that same scene, uh, when Leonard is talking about the other two being sexist and playing the sexist video game, uh, and, and Sheldon and Wallowitz are like, what are you talking about? They cut to an image of uh, Ivy from Soul Calibur, who, um, yes, is like, I was a teen when those games started coming out. And if you want to sell a million copies of anything to teen boys, it better include a, a leather-clad busty dominatrix because that's a guarantee um so yeah also man that's a game series that like ha- was was held in such high regard for two entries and then has ever since the struggle with the relevance and i don't understand why it can't get back on its feet but whatever that's a whole I think it just thing. i mean i think fighting games a just sort of lapsed from relevancy and in particular that particular like the the 3d Basically, we re- we we all came around to the idea that you know what, two D fighters were just better. They were just better. Three D fighters were not as you, good. You failed to account for the ongoing popularity of games like Tekken, though. Tekken Who Eight plays is Tekken. Oh, so many people play Tekken. Uh, I mean, not me, but uh, I don't play any of them. I I'll, I'll once every couple of months I'll play Guilty Gear for five minutes and be yeah. like. I don't know what this is, and then I'll, I'll do something else. To my knowledge, the the most popular fighting games on the planet are Mortal Kombat, which is technically 3D, but is is basically a oh, it's a 2D fighter, all an the way. homage to the 2D fighters, Street Fighter, which need I say more, and then Guilty Gear, which is so yeah, it's just like the Tekken Soul Calibur games got side of kind of squeezed into the margins. Well, again, uh, I have to put my foot down here because I know that you are not a member of the FGC. You do not understand the importance of Tekken. I'm leaning it at that. 
But yeah, anyway, that's what they play. Uh, also, they were just real button mashy. I mean, I loved them, but like the thing that I loved about Soul Calibur was I think the thing that any like hardcore f- person would hate about it, which is that if you found a character that you liked, you could just you could just fucking figure out one combo and just hit the other guy with it until he was dead. I you know it's it's there's no way to articulate this in a non written medium. But uh, if we're going to go back to uh, – so you say they're button mashy, which is true. I think that is a, a problem with 3D fighters, at least as I perceive them. Um, you reminded me that Ivy, the, 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 char- the big old busty dominatrix character, has a throw. And the, the command uh, for that throw is, is this gibberish. It's something I've only ever been able to do on accident. And when people like talk about fighting games being inaccessible, like that is the first thing I think about because it it looks like I don't know like a druidic spell that like you're not supposed to be able to process or pronounce because it's just yeah. Anyway, fighting games um, there are a lot, but that's not what we're talking about. We were talking about this middle school shit. Well, last thing I will say about this is it is true that Ivy always gets singled out, but. Uh... I want to correct a misapprehension, and it's true that in the conversation they focus heavily on her over-sexualized nature and the side of her breasts. But I just want to point out, ever since I read this one essay, I always feel compelled. Big breasts are not shameful. The fact that she's in a fighting game and she's wearing, like, a metal bikini is impractical and probably uh, problematic. But there's nothing wrong with being a big-breasted character in a video game. Women's breasts come in all sizes. It's fine. Yeah, they come in chaste and harlot. Like, what are you talking about? There's... <laughs> she should feel incredibly ashamed for her swinging thingings. Yeah, so they go to the middle school, and you can get into the details, but really it's each of them gives a little spiel to the kids. None of it's really effective. Leonard, in particular, opens up about his childhood trauma before Sheldon finally is like, hey, the way we've wasted your time, it's clear that you've been denied access to science and technology education. And all the girls are like, yeah, finally, Jesus Christ. And so then they get uh, Penny and, not Penny, but um, Bernie and Amy on the phone, which, let's go back in time. Uh, while... Uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you for that effect. Uh, so while the, the bros are all getting ready for the middle school trip, the ladies are all like, first of all, Raj goes to them for uh, girl time wine advice because he's about to go on a date with the, the lady now has a name. Kate Micucci is now officially named Lucy, and he wants to get date advice. And in the middle of this, um, the ladies, uh, all three of them, start talking about whether they've ever been to Disneyland, whether they should go, whether they should be play hooky guess what that's our b plot now they're going to disneyland and uh you know it's fine there's actually not a lot to say about it other than that on the way there i think it's uh i figured if it's i think it's bernadette recommends that they all get dressed up like princesses maybe it was penny one of the two of them uh and then it's like oh i want to be uh snow white no cinderella and i want to be cinderella and then bernadette you know white knuckles on the on the steering wheel as she's driving them there and says no one we can't all be, we can't all be Cinderella. And then she gets real spicy. So anyway, when we get to Disneyland later and all the kids are on the phone and Bernie and Amy are talking to them, they're dressed up as princesses. And yes, only Bernadette got to be Cinderella. 
So B-plot is basically, they want to go to Disneyland, and they do, and it's kind of fun. Hooray. And then C-plot is, uh, man, I've got such mixed feelings about this. It's uh, Raj is going on his date with Lucy, but because he can't talk to ladies without being drunk, because she is intensely anxious, he's like, hey, let's go on a, a date to the library, because they'll be very quiet, and we'll just text each other so I can actually talk to you without revealing my dark secret. Which I think he's already revealed, actually. But um, And the reason I'm torn is because I find it incredibly cringy, and at the same time, I think it's adorable. So, like, it's a very cute thing that they're doing. Again, I think this is, like, one of the more realistic nerd things, where it's, like, two nice people who just do not know how to act in society or, or around each other are doing their damnedest to get over it. And that, I think, is something that the show should focus more on. Um, and it goes fine. Yeah, th- yeah. C-plot. It works out. There you go. I guess maybe that's, looking back, my criticism about the episode. <laughs> it's like, now that I've talked about all of it, there's not ever really any conflict or anything that gets to resolve. It's like three different groups of people say, hey, let's go do a thing, and then they all do it, and it works. So even the trip to the middle school, uh, which is the least successful of the trips, it all works out because Sheldon is like, you know, this shit sucks. Let's talk to some lady scientists and get out of here. Like, Sheldon saves the day somehow. And then I guess the uh, the coda is all the, the three ladies come home a, a little, you know, either tipsy or horny or whatever combination, and they're all still dressed like princesses. Uh, and so Wallowitz uh, sees uh, Bernadette, who is intentionally horny in the Cinderella outfit, he, he immediately strips down and gives her a milady, which, you know what, Wallowitz? You get one. You get that one. Uh, and then, Well, they were cut role-playing as medieval whatevers. It's That's why that... I say, that's why he gets that one. Oh, okay. I'm saying I'm giving him that one. If he says milady again ever in any other context, he should be shot in the spleen. But in this, in this especially Wallowitz, he gets this one. Um... And then, yeah, Penny is more, like, just tired and bummed out, but she's still dressed as a princess, so Leonard's like, well, I'm horny anyway, and takes all his clothes off, and then Amy uh, is exhausted as Sleeping Beauty and, and says, hey, I need you to come give me a kiss, Sheldon, and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'm, I'm still asexual, why why are we still in this relationship? Uh, Amy was Snow White. Oh, what? Oh, you know, that's, I put in my notes initially Snow White, but then I corrected myself because she was doing the Sleeping Beauty gag. No, because Snow White and Sleeping Beauty have the same gag at the end. That's, that's I the forget, part you I joke. forget that that happens to her. Too. Hey, Disney, you got so many sleeping ladies for Nick to keep track of. It's not even her, but to call the fucking brothers Grimm or whatever. It's like, really, guys? Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's the episode. Let's talk about anything else because... I don't know. I could complain about this one, I guess. But like I said, uh, I mean, you might disagree, but I feel like, yeah, everything works out. Everyone's fine. I don't know. How do you feel? (laughs) Uh, Again, yeah, I guess I'm just... I don't know. Like, so on the one hand, I want to make it clear that Sheldon not going on like a James DeMore-style rant about how women are just fundamentally inferior at STEM encoding um, is good. It's a good thing. It is. It would have been so uncomfortable. At the same time, can we just acknowledge that Sheldon has be- that the Sheldon of like 
season one or season two would absolutely have gone on that rant. And so in some ways, Sheldon has become less interesting because uh, since he has become sort of more of the protagonist of the show. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if anything, season one Sheldon would have been assaulted by that entire group of tweens because he, yeah, he would have unfiltered talked about how, like, not only are they, like, in their female capacity never going to be able to stand up to his intellectual superiority, but the fact that they're in, like, a public school at that age and their gifts haven't already been identified and cultivated means that they don't have a chance either. And then, like, Raj and Wallowitz evolve... Not Raj, but Leonard and Wallowitz would somehow have to save Sheldon in spite of them being awkward and that they would screw it up, but all that kind of stuff. But you're right, Sheldon instead is... Yeah, like... I don't know. He's he's walking that line. Like, yeah, they're both inferior, but also he's cuddly and doesn't commit to the bit as much. <sighs> That's I was I guess what I'm, I was talking with my uh, with a relative. Uh, I don't want to call out which relative I talked to about this show, but uh, they're always curious. Like, you've been doing this a long time. Like, if you started like, and it just it prompted me a moment of reflection. I was like, you know, the show, on average, I would say, tell me if you agree with this or disagree. I would say the average episode of the show is not as bad as the average episode of the show back in uh, the first couple of seasons where a bad episode was truly terrible and dispiriting. (laughs) But at the same time, every now and then in those early episodes, there would be like these random like uncut gems that you would dig up where it would just be like the characters were acting so insane that you were like, well, at least at least it's something. At least there's, you know, there's something interesting going on here that I can sort of, you know, vibe to. Well, and so you just made me think of two things. One is, well, 2.5. One, I, I just missed the worst episodes of the early days because at least they would live, leave like a significant impression. But also, I saw this video essay, and ultimately it wasn't very good, but it was about how a lot of, I was going to say modern comedy, but I guess like a whole tradition of like, you know, sitcoms. And we've talked about this ourselves, like... um you know, it's meant to be very easily consumed. But what the the essay did was contrasted it with uh, another very short-lived show, which I've only seen bits of. Uh, it, it was uh, he he compared it to the uh, the Police Squad, uh, the from the files of Police Squad, the the TV shows that all the Naked Gun movies are based on. And apparently, when that movie was when that TV show was canceled. The word around the crew was that part of the reason it was canceled is because it was a show that you actually had to pay attention to because it actually had like real jokes in it that weren't lampshaded and that came at such a rate that if you weren't like filtering through for them, you would miss them. Uh, and I think shows like The Big Bang Theory, when they're at their best, which, you know, they're most effective for the purpose, like you could be doing laundry or, you know, making dinner or any other number of chores and still get the gist and you'll still laugh along because you'll know when to laugh and you'll hear other people laughing. And I feel like that's kind of what today's was, where it was like, if this were on in the background, I'd be like, oh, people are getting along and 
people are laughing about things. And I guess I just feel generally good about whatever is happening to the beta waves in my brain right now. Um, sorry, I got kind of a little carried away there. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's how I feel about the show that we keep yeah. doing. Yeah, it's been sanded. Like, you have to hand it to the writers because it's like they set out to, like, expertly craft something that would be perfectly, like, mediocre, and they did it. And it's just, I feel like we're just getting, I mean, again, I just can't, I don't know if I'm giving it a backhanded compliment or what, but it's just like. Well, I I mean, backhanded, I I think I'm giving it the same backhanded compliment, which is that, like, I I think I heard this comparison very recently for the Marvel movies and I think yes that's actually another that's a great uh oh now we're into the hot takes the Marvel movies are the big bang theory of movies yeah yeah exactly which is like you know what there's nothing wrong with watching them you're a bad person for watching them known as a bad person for making it like everyone that likes it you're fine to like it but it's 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 the dog chow you know like it's it's just it's it, it everyone likes it because it doesn't appeal to anybody in particular and it doesn't exclude anyone in particular it's just as broadly appealing as possible <laughs> yeah you know what in that so now that we're just free associating have you heard the this was one of his older songs now but have you heard the bo burnham song repeat stuff i don't think so so Bo Burnham had a song which was about pop songs and he was about how like he was about how like love poems and early like romantic ballads used to be like these deeply poetic artifacts but now we can't do that because the whole point of a of a pop song is to uh like convince all of the audience of teenage girls that it could be about any of them without offending any of their parents so it has this it has like this uh it's like, you know, Bo Burnham lines. So it's just like, uh, uh, I love your hands because your fingerprints are like no other. I love your eyes than their bluish, brownish, greenish color. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that's what pop culture... I mean, I guess all we're saying is that's what pop culture is now. Is It's this thing that tries to include everyone. And when that's done well, it feels like, oh, yay, fun, inclusive progress. And when it's done... Uh, badly, it just feels like oh, this is this is a corporate product that's defined to like like every. I mean, I guess yeah, because this episode this is really a feminist episode of the Big Bang Theory in the sense that this is the Big Bang Theory blatantly pandering to like the desire to see more women in science and make it clear that women have a place in science, but it does it in like the most milk toast way possible whereas i feel like if you know i'm not saying i would enjoy this but i do feel like if it were just like meaner and just more like no of course women can't be scientists that would at least be a more interesting if if awful you know thing yeah, to be it's 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 all just too cute yeah it doesn't go for any like criticism or satire which is a big ask of the Big Bang Theory, but in a show that, like, is pretty often not aggressively, malignantly misogynistic, but which is, like, just kind of casually misogynist. Uh, it's, I would expect, yeah, something a little 
meaner. And the, I think that the closest they get to like a, a fun question or an irony is at the end of the episode when Bernie and Amy are giving their little over-the-phone guest lecture to the tweens on how important it is to, you know, be respected for your mind and not let society judge you just by your appearance. You know, they're dressed up as pretty, pretty princesses at the time. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, the, the ladies are actually, like, looking nice, and they're just, like, goofing. To the, but it doesn't ever get any more significant than that, you know? So it's... I, You know, I will say there was one... Uh, there was one joke in this episode that I actually I, I, uh, thought was pretty uh, good in that it was pretty dark, which is uh, there's an early uh, rule of three joke in this episode where Penny keeps describing oh, yes that she's had and they just get increasingly like uh, uh, sort of dark. I don't remember all. I remember the first one is they're talking about going on Space Mountain and she goes, well, now remember that right is shorter than you think. And uh even though it's in the dark, they do take a picture at the end, so make sure you have all of your clothes on. And someone's like, that's just a joke, right? She's and like, she... yeah, just a joke, based on a real experience. Yes, and there's another one that I can't remember, so I don't think. It's just, again, it's part of that same rhythm. But the third one is uh, is they're talking to Amy, and they're like, you've really never played hooky in your life? And Amy was like, no, my mother always taught me that playing hooky is uh, how you end up. What was it? It was like some incredibly old-timey, like, border, like, vaguely racist thing. Something about hooked on jazz cigarettes or something. Yeah, hooked on jazz and cigarettes. And uh, Penny goes, no, actually, uh, uh, playing hooky most likely ends up in you, like, being at a Best Western motel in the middle of the afternoon with, like, a 34-year-old guy named Rob or something like that. Right. And they're like, "Are you, are you, are you joking?" And she's like, "Well, I can laugh about it now." Yeah, yeah. That's another like Penny's checkered past comes comes in, and yeah, I think that was a legitimately good joke, just kind of buried in the episode. Penny hitting, sitting in the background, just just knocking out all of these dark turns of her life. <sighs> I mean, do we want to nitpick anymore? Or do we want to move on from a I good note? That's- I think that's uh oh you were in this episode. I, oh you motherfucker. You <laughs> motherfucker. Who is that guy? I don't know who like... you're talking about, Kyle. I don't no, know. In the middle of this episode there's a random two they come is there? and there's Nick Hyde, you know, sitting in a sweater vest in the middle of the library with his carrot top hair, you know, and his slightly sad demeanor. I was like, how did Nick Hyde get in this episode? Yeah, we're talking about Brian Posehn, everybody, which, let's move on to uh, our our next section. How about we don't? (laughs) Let's do that. Uh, I have what is probably like an old-timey re-recommend, like maybe from early in the show. Maybe maybe not, but so I could do that unless you want to. Kyle, do you have something exciting you want to start with? So quick double right. First off. Saw Glass Onion, which is also which is basic. It's Knives Out too, and it's pretty good. Should be dropping on Netflix next week. Totally worth the watch. Although it's actually the set is nice enough. It was fun seeing in a in a movie theater. Um, so all I'll say is not quite as good as Knives Out, but still okay. very good. Um, while being, it's mostly it's just deliberately stylistically and tonally different. 
but still quite good and quite clever uh, and timely in a weird way without in a in a funny and ironic way where it was obviously written and filmed months ago but just happens to line up with current events in the way that you're like oh this feels prophetic so that's my recommendation for a movie is everybody watch glass onion then my recommendation for a video game uh begins with a story which is um <clears throat> i needed to humble my nephews because uh i was <laughs> i was staying with my uh with my family over the thanksgiving week and uh, I don't want to give too much information about my nephews away, but suffice to say they're younger than me, and one of them is very into Super Smash Brothers. And the first time he was like, I bet I can beat you at Super Smash Brothers, I was like, uh, oh, okay, kid, let's see what you got. Not telling him that I'd been playing Super Smash Brothers since I was 15 years old. And so uh, while I don't know, there are like 400 characters, I don't know most of them. When it comes to playing as Samus Aaron, you know, I still have a pretty strong main, and so I managed to uh, slap him around the map pretty hard with his favorite character, which was satisfying, but that was a year ago, and I don't know if you know this about uh, kids. <laughs> Are we talking about Im- their, their capacity to learn? <laughs> and their time, right? They have an infinite amount of time to get better at Super Smash Brothers compared to an adult, so if they decide that the one thing they want to do in the universe is spend hours and hours uh, getting better at Super Smash Brothers so that they can kick their uncle's butt the next time he comes to visit. That's what they're going to do. So, uh, you know, I had the very humbling experience of just getting the brakes beaten off of me, uh, you know, six ways from Sunday, no matter what I tried to do. Just not even not even close, just a curb stomp battle of, you know, Super Smash Brothers. Um so I was like, well, now I, I have to pick something. So we obviously can't. I was, a, I was a, you know, a graceful loser. I didn't like throw a fit, but I was like, well, there's no point in playing this game with you anymore. We have to try something where uh, we have to play something where uh, Kyle feels like he has something to contribute to the game. And so I downloaded on the Switch. <clears throat> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Oh. Which, uh. If you don't know, the Stage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge is a modern game, very recently released, but is an homage to the, uh, I don't know, were, the, were they NES games or SNES games mostly? It started um, as a arcade game that was ported to the NES, and then uh, Turtles in Time, another arcade game, ported to the SNES. Very good. So there have been, yes, like Nick was saying, there have been a couple of different... Um, couple of different uh side-scrolling beat-em-up teenage mutant ninja turtles games that were very popular if you were a certain age uh a 90s kid late 80s early 90s kid um uh, nick did you play any of those in the arcade or at home uh i definitely played uh, the uh original um well i guess it was turtles 2 technically on the nes and then the uh the sega version of uh turtles in time the hyperstone heist i played a whole bunch very good and i should mention that all of those have recently been uh collected and ported to the switch as well so you can you can play all of those gems on the switch but uh shredder's revenge is not actually any of those games it is just an attempt to take to capture exactly the appeal of those games with new levels and you know it's it's basically i guess the 
proper word for it. it's almost it's like a remix an homage and a remix because it plays incredibly similarly to those games which i have some familiarity with uh i think i mostly played them in the arcade um but the moves are all identical for the turtles the bad guys i think most of them are pretty recognizable they're just more variants than there were before and there are a whole bunch of different levels and a whole bunch of different bosses all ripped directly from the uh teenage mutant ninja turtles 1980s cartoon show so i played uh with my nephews as the ninja turtles and it was funny watching um modern children try to wrap their brains around again what is a if you don't know this genre, it is a 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up, which means that basically your character walks left to right across a map, and dudes come out on either side, and you have to beat the brakes off of them all, and then advance to the next part of the map. And then if you walk right, so there's no very little platforming, uh, just lots of punching and kicking and using basic combos and grabs and your super attack to... Uh, clear the map and then if you right walk far enough to the right you find the boss of the level and you beat him and then you advance to the next level and i have to say as someone who has been playing a lot of super complicated adult games cyberpunk or whatever i found this incredibly <laughs> satisfying and relaxing it's just like you know it feels like you're getting mobbed but there are never so many enemies that like you can't just like mash the a button uh, there are actual combos and, like, things you can do to, like, you know, improve your chances. And the bad guys have, you know, recurring movesets that you can memorize. So you can do all sorts of little things to make it feel like you are really mastering the game. But at a fundamental level, you are just, you know, swinging a ninja weapon around and just, you know, smashing ninjas. Who, I guess, you know, again, keeping with the overall tongue-in-cheek tone of the 1980s vibe, are technically robots because... You know, they're foot ninjas, but when you when you beat them unconscious and they fall to the ground, they explode so that you don't, I guess, have to feel uh, like... Yeah, so you're not murdering against... countless other young adults or teens or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you fight, you know, various... You fight all of the classics, Bebop, Rocksteady, the Triceratops-headed guy, the fly monster Baxter Stocksman, the big Utron robot dude, uh, you know... Uh, Metalhead, and, uh, of course, Shredder uh, in a couple of different fights. And so, yeah, it was absolutely 100%. You could beat the whole game in, like, a long afternoon. It's much better to play if you have, like, a couple of friends around who can play as the other Turtles. Um, It also accepts online play, so I guess you could, you know, link everybody up that way. Yeah, I really think um... it's a game designed to just be played, like, you know, in your basement with a couple of your buddies, like in an afternoon, and then you can beat it, and it's pretty fun. Well, and I have played this game, and I was impressed by how easy it was to uh, just hop into an online game and play with a bunch of randos, and how chaotic that gets. I think, yeah, playing with buddies in person is definitely the way to do it, but uh, it was a refreshingly easy multiplayer experience. That's nice. So that's my recommendation. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Nice. Up to six players. Seven, I guess, technically. No, six, but you unlock seven characters. Yeah, I think six on screen at a time. Um, Well, and I'm also going to recommend a video game because I, uh, here here in Montana, it is winter time. And so I have gone from playing video games to get out of the sun to playing video games to get away from the cold. And... 
in in wanting to bundle up and be cozy and play something where I just watch a whole bunch of numbers go up at a pretty slow rate. I have uh, started replaying for the first time in, I don't know, like four years. Uh, Fire Emblem, Three Houses. I got the DLC. I don't know if it's any good or not. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, that's just a Smash theme, but okay, cool. Oh. <laughs> What's the Three Houses theme? I, I don't even know. Uh, Sorry, I was playing. The Three Houses theme is also a banger. What but yeah, uh, so Fire Emblem is a game that has been like out since the early 90s, but I, I didn't play any of them before Three Houses. They are all top-down, uh, tile-based, tactical uh, RPGs. And Three Houses differentiates itself from the previous games in that it goes really, really deep into being uh, an anime uh, school environment and so you uh, are a, a a nameless child soldier I think maybe even a literal homunculus I can't quite remember and uh, you you interact with other child soldiers at the military academy who are split into the titular three houses uh, you can be the rule followers the imperial freaks or the horny boys and each of them comes with their their own crew of, of individual teens that you can interact with and get support with. And the more support you get amongst each uh, amongst your crew, the the better they'll do in battles. Something that I think is over the top um, in, in in both being impressive and unnecessary is that. So let's say every each each house I think has like ten of its own members. And then there's like twenty other people you can recruit. Each of these people have support levels that start at a C and go up through A. And each person with each every other person has this is a part of this support network. And there is a cutscene dedicated to every single time one of these support levels goes up. It's a small conversation between the characters. And I feel like I want to watch that to get involved in the narrative also. I can't believe it's a real thing. I can't believe someone took all the time to do that. I want to just skip through all of it because my time on Earth is finite. But goddamn, did they ever put all of that in there? Um, and I guess that's also my criticism is like the school stuff. I wish there was a bit less of it so you could focus more on the battles. But it is fun getting to run around this, yeah, old timey monastic military academy and focus on like individual lessons and get to know people and do there's a fishing mini game you know fishing mini games are always the best part of any game that they're in uh and uh the last thing i'll say is i've played it a few times now but uh in replaying it i have to say unless your brain is cheese or you just want the the most chill time possible uh started on hard difficulty it's on the on the normal difficulty it, it may start out normal, but then the way the difficulty scales and the number of times you fight, like, you immediately start to become overpowered. Um, and so if you crank that baby up, it'll be a bit more fair. That's an old tip from Nick Hyde. Yeah, some of us like that, but some of us enjoy having, like, one of our characters just walk from one end of the map to the other, just causing untold carnage. Uh, well, I mean that that my my main character is still doing that, and I try. That's why I try to hold her back, is because she she can unleash such chaos upon the the opposing team, 
that my my other uh, teammates then don't have any time to get their own licks in and get any experience. So <laughs> I'm trying to let my other sweet babies learn as as my main character is just ripping people's guts out with their bare hands. Uh, anyway, three houses. Also, uh, the main reason I'm enjoying it and I'm recommending it is like you get to be pretty meticulous about everyone's equipment and what skills you want to develop. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's that would probably not be that fun. <laughs> but if you've got the kind of brain that, like, really likes going through that minutiae, oh, God, it's so satisfying. So, uh, yeah, Three Houses, Fire Emblem. It's on the Switch. Go, go get it. We did it again, Kyle. An, an okay episode and some comforting things that we enjoy. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm just going to get back to those comforting things. I got I got more teens I have to throw into military chaos.